Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Curzon Film Podcast. In this episode, the most important pop biopic since Katy Perry passed me. It's Brady Corbett's Vox Lux. Plus, we've managed to swing some time in the VIP section and talk to two of its stars, Stacey Martin and Rafi Cassidy. Hello, I'm Jake Cunningham, and joining my pod chorus this week, screaming from the balcony, it's Kelly Powell. Hello. Uh, crying from the front row, it's Ella Kemp. Hello. And standing behind a beam because he could only afford restricted seats. Sam Howlett's here too. Hello. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) All right. um, So we're going to be talking all about Vox Lux today, as I said, uh, as well as talking to Rafi Casti and Stacey Martin. And this is the new film from the director of The Childhood of a Leader, if anyone saw that one a few years ago. Uh, But to quickly set this one up. Uh, it's 1999, and Celeste, played by Rafi Cassidy, survives a violent high school shooting. Uh, she sings at the memorial service, and the clip kind of goes viral, and she becomes a superstar with the help of her songwriter sister, who's Stacey Martin, and her manager, played by an excellent, slimy Jude Law. Um, and then there's a big time jump. By 2017, adult Celeste is now played by Natalie Portman, and she's mounting a comeback after a scandalous incident that derailed her career. Uh, She's about to tour her sixth album, and the now foul-mouthed pop saviour must overcome her personal and familial struggles to navigate motherhood, madness, and monolithic fame. Uh, So before we jump into this film and the interview, I thought it would be a great opportunity to give a bit of background on the director and uh, the cast that we're talking to today as well. Sure. So uh, first of all, the director, Brady Corbet, initially an actor. He was in uh, Greg Araki's Mysterious Skin, Catherine Hardwick's 13. He worked with Michael Haneke on the Funny Games remake. He was in Melancholia. And his directorial debut a few years ago, Childhood of a Leader, you can see he's influenced by the directors he worked with. It's very Haneke-esque. It's very Lars von Trier-esque. And that's carried on here in Vox Lux too. Yeah, and that one got a lot of acclaim. Uh, it's his first film. Yeah, he played at one, Venice 2015. One Best Director of Venice. Mm. Yeah, There's also some uh, parallels to Vox Lux as well mm. in terms of the structure and this idea of like a film of, you know, a film of two halves where you see a character's childhood and something very dramatic happens to them in that childhood and then you see how that's affected them in adulthood and what they've become, this sort of monster they've become. Mm. And well, he has said in past in interviews that the, he saw this film, Vox Lux, as almost like a sequel mm. to Childhood of a, of a Leader. He said he, in his mind he wrote it as a sequel, which is interesting. 
uh, mm. to to think about that it's a continuation of the same sort of themes. Mm. Yeah, a use in the childhood leader. Yeah, and I think stylistically as well, there's a lot of parallels between the two films in that I think often stories where you'll start with a young person who then grows up, you can immediately think coming of age. Brady Corbett's films, they're not coming of age of like boyhood or whatever. There's nothing of that. It's very, very dramatic. You've got this huge like gothic, dark atmosphere. It's very oppressive, but also very, very exciting, I think. Mm. Yeah, um... What an interesting career as well. I mean, like he's um, done bit parts in Eden and While We're Young, Force Majeure, and it kind of seems like he hit a point after doing stuff when he was very young where he's just gone to work with people that he's interested in working mm. with mm. and clearly maybe 10 years ago thought, right, I want to make my own things. And he's got uh, credits as co-writer and editor on things and bits and pieces and just kind of slowly in quite like compared to when we see maybe actors kind of suddenly go and direct a film out of nowhere where you don't see any credits for them to prove that that's something they can do it's nice mm. to see this guy really kind of build mm. and build and build and just kind of step into this when he feels that he's ready and so c- central uh, to this film along with natalie portman's performance in the, in the second half of this film vox lux uh, you've got rafi casti and stacy martin who's the really? only real through line with jude law yeah um, and you were lucky enough to talk to him. I was, yeah. So Stacey Martin plays Celeste's sister in the film, Eleanor. Mm-hmm. And uh, Stacey Martin broke out in Nymphomaniac. Also, she's also worked with Lars von Trier. And she's, rather than gone in to do bigger things, she's stayed in the kind of art house arena. She had a bit part in uh, Ben Whitley's High Rise. She was in Michelle Aznavicius's Redoutable. She's in Childhood of a Leader. So she's worked with Brady before. So they've got a good rapport together. And then Rafi Cassidy, again, she broke out in Tomorrowland. So good. And you'd expect a very young actor in Tomorrowland to go on to do some big, big franchise. But she's also, she worked with Yorgos Lanthimos in Killing of a Sacred Deer. Mm. She's also stuck in these kind of smaller, interesting films, which is really interesting for young actors to do, to not jump at the chance, to, to not have a Jude Law character in their life to push them into doing these bigger, louder things that they've, they're doing what they want to do and that's really interesting. Yeah, and she is really good in Tomorrowland She's, as yeah. well. Um, <laughs> and in Killing the Sacred Deer, she has a little acapella pop song moment as oh, well. Yeah. So yeah, that's great. There you go. It was under the, under the tree. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Iconic. Yeah, yeah. She is really good in that. All right, cool. And uh, yeah, so you spoke to both of them about this one. Uh, yeah, I did speak to them. We spoke about how Brady compares to the other auteurs they've worked with, how the film sort of was influenced by what they thought of pop stars before and after reading the script, uh, how confident Brady is as a, as a director, and just the whole sort of idea of young people in the entertainment industry and growing up in that industry and how that kind of how their experience of that compared to Celeste's experience with that. So here it is, enjoy. We're delighted to welcome Stacey Martin and Rafi Cassidy to the Curzon podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you Thank for you. having us, yeah. Uh, so we're talking about Vox Lux, of course. Can you both talk about how Brady first presented you with the idea for this film when you first read the script and what your initial thoughts were about this idea, this concept? Um, well, I think you were on board before, yeah, mm. way before, but um, when I came on to it, Stacey was already on it, I think pretty much everyone was already on it, and um, Brady, I had a Skype with Brady, I'd only mm. read about a quarter of the script, um, 
and I spoke to him on Skype and he told me all about this amazing uh, kind of contemporary piece which mm. is about the history of you know what's happened in the last decade or so um, and uh, yeah it was a really interesting piece and um, and then he told me about the two characters mm -hmm. and yeah I, I would uh, I was I really really want to be a part mm. of it so I um, read the script, Brady had sent me the script because um, I worked with him on his first feature, yep. Childhood of a Leader. And he said he wrote this new script and he wanted me to read it and there was this part in it um, called Eleanor and he wanted me to play so I was quite excited because I loved working with him. Mm. The idea of working with the same people regularly is something I'm looking to do. Mm -hmm. And so I read the script and I just... I was so excited because it was so vast and dense and aesthetically exciting. And the fact that he already had in mind Scott Walker to do the score mm. and Sia, and I just thought all of these elements are just going to make an amazing film. And so I, was, I just said yes immediately. Mm. Rafi, you played two roles in the mm. film, young Celeste and then Celeste's daughter. Can you talk about the challenges of playing two roles in the same film and how you and Brady kind of work together to form these two separate characters? Um, I think that's kind of how we did it. We acted as if it was, uh, yeah. uh, for me, it was easier to make it as if it wasn't in the same film, mm -hmm. obviously because a person sees, you know, things that happen in a completely sure. different way. So um, it was really helpful as well because we kind of shot it. We shot it quite chronologically, mm. don't you think? Like, yeah. in order, so I first did... Um, Celeste, and then after that um, we had a break. Well, not a break, but like then we swapped over to the second half of the film. Um, but I guess the general things like accents and appearance—they were mm. things that we played with. Okay, so Brady's obviously an actor as well himself. Mm. Can you really get a feel from that in his d approach to directing? That he's he's been where you guys are and he knows what you're going through and everything. Sort of. I mean, I kind of see him as a director, even though sure. I know him initially as an actor. For me, he's, he's one of these incredible people that you meet and you just know they're going to keep making incredible mm. films for the rest of their lives. He's a real cinephile and the way he approaches um, not only actors, but film in general is quite encompassing. And, and I kind of see that. I don't, when you see him as an actor, mm. I kind of think, oh, but he's, he's so much more. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think the way that he, I think it was quite clear that he had had experience in acting yeah. mm. and with the way that he kind of delivered, you know, the, you know, the way that he wanted us to do things you could tell because it was really easy to understand as well and I think that was really helpful being yeah. you know, an actor. So it was a huge part of the film is, you know, a young woman's introduction to fame. Um, did any of what Celeste goes through uh, mirror your own experiences of being sort of thrown into this world of fame and celebrity and the entertainment industry? No, not at all. Completely <laughs> no. <Really? laughs> no. Um, no, I mean, it was a, when I read it out, I had no, no clue about this. I guess she's a, a pop star and it's a completely different thing where your personality is, you know, you as a person mm. are thrown into the, whereas being an actor, you play these characters, no mm. one actually, you know, apart from things like this, no one really sees. The real you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that was really deep. <laughs> 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 Did you find anything? Um, no, I think the only similarities that you would have is more sort of the e the system that exists behind um, behind someone like a pop star mm. or whether it be a music band or even actors. Um, there is a whole organisation behind, mm -hmm. and 
and people tend to not really see that aspect. They just think, oh, it's just really easy, but it's yeah. everything is controlled and everything is organized and, and, and thought through. And, and that's something that I've sort of, I, you kind of, we deal with it on a day-to-day -day basis. But in terms of the rest, I think it's quite specific to probably to music and to mm. a certain level of fame sure. as well that I'm definitely not. <laughs> kind of going on from that then the film has loads of questions about sort of the responsibility of fame and the difference between popularity and notoriety are these kind of questions that you talk about amongst yourselves in this kind of this part of the industry in the entertainment world I, I talk about it more with my friends mm. um, I, I do think we're sort of veering towards a, a moment in, in time where fame is taking over talent and um, there's this amazing scene um, with Albertine and Celeste in the diner where mm. Celeste says it doesn't really matter if you're Michelangelo or Michelangelo from, from New Jersey or I can't remember exactly what it is but it's true there's a, something about sort of our society that craves craves a story and mm. craves an angle and, and it doesn't really matter if, if you're talented or not as long as you can sustain that level of of, of fame and, and that's something I, I think we're slowly, I mean, we're already in it. Yeah, okay. So let's talk a bit about Celeste then, who's the kind of the real centerpiece of this film. I think in another film, she could very easily just be this purely unlikable character, but this film, she's so complicated. Can you talk about how you read Celeste before you saw the performances? Like what kind of character did you see her as beforehand? Well, I really enjoyed playing with Rafi and yeah. with Natalie because you could really feel sort of the experience in life taking over when Natalie arrived. What's so great is that we don't see everything that happened within those two moments, but you understand it because mm. her performance is so dense and so so bold and, and, and you you recognize everything that she's been through by how she, she is. Um, and ultimately she's someone who is trying to constantly battle with the image of Celeste and Celeste is who she is. But I think you must have, I mean, did you ever talk to, I'm going to do the interview now. Sure, Because <laughs> I guess it's different seeing it. Yeah, exactly. Obviously yeah. playing it, I guess. Yeah, as like, as watching it, I didn't think, when I read it, obviously I, I kind of felt sympathy for her because I yeah. knew what she'd been through when she was younger. But then watching it, I felt so much more sorry for her. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, because you just see this, like you say, it's like two completely separate things of who we see at the start to at the end. Yeah. Um, yeah, you just feel so sorry for and you can mm. think, how can a person who is behaving so horribly you feel so sorry for? But yeah, yeah you do. And Brady's been kind of coy as to who the kind of inspiration is for the Celeste we get in that second half. I mean, there's hints of like sort of Gaga or, um, you know, Britney or Madonna. Did he tell, did he let you in on any of the inspirations for Celeste and, and did you bring any to it yourself? I don't know if it was completely inspired by a particular person. Mm. I think he developed this character of, you know, everything that he researched and sees. So I don't think it's I don't think it's one person. person. Yeah. I think you really feel it in the film where we recognise so many idol, pop idols of our times mm. and we recognise the ones that were really sort of 
um, shattered by it and the ones who kind of survived through. I think she's a great mix when you look at Britney Spears and how hard it, it, it was for her to kind of grow up in this system. And then when you look at Madonna, they both handled it very differently. Mm -hmm. And I think Celeste represents all of these modern yeah. pop, um, um, almost stereotypes that we have in our culture that we assume they're just, oh, it's just Britney Spears, but it's also, yeah. it's also a human being. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I think with films like this and even A Star Is Born to an extent, there's this idea of like people looking at pop music slightly differently, like mm. looking past the fact that they're just this sort of pop diva on stage, that there's actually mm. a lot more going on there. Have you found that yourselves after watching the film and experiencing the film? Um, yeah, I, I, I see it a lot more in the type of pop music that's being yeah. made today. Um, if you look at what Sia does and you know, her visual concept is very strong and... and I think pop artists now have their own identity mm -hmm. that is unique to them and that's why people enjoy their music. Um, I think with this film, I realized how everyone is responsible for making yeah. um, this person, Celeste. So even though um, we might despise the manager, we might despise Eleanor, they're all victims and they're all responsible for what they've created and I think mm. that's one thing I really took from the film. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I learned a lot on this. This was a completely different world which I didn't know um, went on. And I think for a lot mm. of people watching it they'll realise a what a lot of what goes on um, behind the scenes with musicians. But yeah, it's an amazing thing that they can have their own identity. Mm. Yeah. And so you mentioned there this I um about working with Brady and about wanting to work with people over again. Um, how does sort of Brady's approach to directing compare with the other auteurs? Because you've both worked with like Lars von Trier, mm. Jorgos Lanthimos. How do those kind of approaches differ? Mm. <laughs> well, I mean, every director has their yeah. own way of working, so no one is, is the same. Um, what I really enjoy with Brady is that he has a very European sensibility and um, his cinema feels very European even Vox Lux for me even though it's a very American film the way he films it the way um, he built his cast feels like a very auteur filmmaker um, I think he approaches directing as a whole um, thing where it starts from the writing his scripts are really beautifully written mm. and his dialogue is very witty and really <clears throat> really well done and that's something that you, you find with Lars von Trier, and I, I don't know, maybe your guess is the same, but it starts from the very base of the, the blueprint of the yeah. film, which is the script. Okay. Yeah. I think what's so interesting about Brady is that he is so different from any other director. But one thing I um, noticed on this was that the script kind of stayed the same. Right. With a lot of things I've worked on, like it changes throughout, but Brady had this you know, mm. precise thing. And, yeah, when we film on a day, it would kind of yeah. stick to that, which, mm. I, which on other things I've done, it hasn't really been like that too much. Okay. Uh, final question then. How long was wrapped up in your head for? Because it's, it's not left mind. It's still in my head. Yeah. It's still, yeah. And sometimes I get quite emotional when I hear it. I'm like, oh, that was, I mean, it feels so long ago, but it feels so close. And yeah. it's kind of a... Yeah, it kind of followed us for quite a long... I mean, followed me for a really long time. Yeah, because that was like one of our first scenes, wasn't it? Yeah. In the church. Yeah. yeah. Great. Stacey Martin, Rafa Casti, thank you very much for your time. Thank, thank you. you. Cheers. Thanks. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. All right. Thank you, Rafi and Stacey, for that. Uh, so because this film is very much divided down the middle, I thought I'd divide our discussion uh, into two sides, one and two. Um, and then not not to compare them in any way, uh, not that we have favorites at all, um, but uh, let's let's start with the opening, and this is the school shooting that really sets up everything. Um, and how did we find this one? Because personally, I, f- I found that, like the five minute opening, five ten minutes of this is is a grueling experience. Oh my god! Yeah, it just throws you right in there. Um, yeah, I remember. I remember going like, uh, and you can feel it building. <laughs> <laughs> you can feel it building, and you're like, oh my god, it's getting here so quickly, and then it happens, and you're just like, oh. Sh-. Um, and you kind of, it sets the tone for the rest of the film, really. It's kind of like, oh, okay, I'm not watching yeah, what but, I might have thought I, <laughs> I came to see. Um, and w- what is that tone? What What is that feeling? I mean, I would just say that it's mm, whatever you liked and enjoyed about A Star Is Born. This is not that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I do like Star is Born, very much so, but I love how Vox Arc is just, it just slaps you in the face from the start. Mm. And mm. I, it's, I think it's just so ambitious. And I think this is Brady Corbett coming off the back of Child of the Valida thinking, you like that one? You thought that one was like hardcore? Well, look how much more we can do. And it really just, yeah, I find it very immersive. And I've, I'm just trying to think of another film with like comparable scenes at first and obviously the whole film is not Gus Van Sant's Elephant but mm. in the kind of way that it's very mobile and that camera like really eerily goes throughout the school and you're just in this horrible traumatic moment um, Yeah, it's, it's got that, it's got that um, inescapable spectral feeling where mm. Uh, you have the feeling of freedom that comes with a floating camera that in some ways can be amazing, but the fact that you are trapped within yeah. this narrative just makes it even harder to watch mm. because you feel like in some way you should be able to escape, but you just can't, and you mm. keep pressing forwards towards this inescapable thing. Um, it's interesting that you say it's immersive because I think it's quite an arch film. It's quite heavily stylized. Mm. Uh, it's biblical unashamedly biblical Mm. um you've got willem dafoe uh for the second time in a number of weeks doing narration over a black screen uh (laughs) being quite philosophical uh and introducing the story in the style that one might introduce a bible text yeah or fable of some sort yeah Yeah. and it comes up with title cards that are similarly gothic and Mm. quite enlarged um that are wonderful, like the credits in this. Credits so, in the like, I go off on one on that, <laughs> but I won't. Um, but they are amazing. Um, 
but for me like that that doesn't necessarily say immersion no i think yeah it's a strange one the way the sort of style refers to what's going on in the film because they don't really gel together i think that's on purpose um i think it's all about this kind of the shallowness of celeste's life the sort of however many years 18 years whatever we see in her life and i think in a way the that the fact the film's so stylized is a reflection of look how shiny and stylized this is but actually everything that happens in the film is quite horrible and mm. quite ugly yeah i think there's that... an eeriness that that pervades the film i think yeah. Throughout, yeah and that that payoff of contrast between this kind of treatment of religious figures of iconography mm. and pop stars yeah. perhaps more pays off in the second half when we see celeste as the pop star that she is to become whereas in the first half that it's uh a lot more focused on her uh, on the real life mm. or the, the the preceding life mm. uh for her um and that that's where we first uh, obviously meet Rafi Cassidy and Stacey Martin and uh they're, they're both doing great work along with Jude Law and I think it would be great to delve into those performances briefly mm. um what do you make of Rafi in this one she's so good she's amazing um yeah, I really like... So Rafi Cassidy is from Manchester and obviously plays this all-American girl, really. And I think you can tell there is there is a very deliberate way of making her seem like a version of the characters. You see that she's slightly, she's slightly off-kilter the whole time. She's not completely um, erratic or explosive, maybe in the same way that her character might become. Um, but she's just... Yeah, I find it so interesting the way that you can tell that she will never be able to escape that trauma that she has and that pain. And yet she's always kind of trying to be confident and there's this like horrid narcissism which is always tinged with anxiety at the same time. So I feel like, yeah, it's a really strange balance that I think she strikes so well in being very vulnerable but also like aggressive and abrasive at all times. Yeah. Whilst like both her and Portman's performance in the latter half, are, they're both extremely layered, they're measured works. I think uh, in the first half, uh, the younger Celeste has to go through significant change mm. and you have to track that over the 50 minutes of this first half of the film. Whereas I think um, Portman's side of the film, she's very much in her way. She's, we know what that character is, she knows what that character yeah. is and it doesn't really change over the mm. course. And that's down to how that second half is structured because it's also very different to this first half. But mm. I think... Uh, the challenge, and for me, what makes Raph Cassidy's performance more interesting than Portman is that we see her go from this kind of uh, almost um, Bible Belt innocent kid mm. playing the keyboard in her bed um, to having to reach a point where that transition into what Portman becomes is believable, mm. and I think she reaches that point. She has to be. She has to be like three different characters yeah. within that one mm. confined space, and. But while keeping that same kind of personality, which I think she does, like I think from the moments in the school, the way that she's interacting with the other student and then later on the way she talks to people, I think you can really see the same kind of, like the way that she maintains this eye contact and this strength in her, just the way she carries herself, even though um, like her job and talent, I guess, and everything changes, there is that same kind of resilience, um, which I think is really admirable. Yeah. Uh, it's also where we meet Jude Law as the manager, mm. uh, who's 
great. Um, <laughs> so good. He I doesn't mean, change. Yeah, I mean, Jude Law's hair for like maybe the last <laughs> 20 years has been uh, a big Up and point. down, yeah. back and forth. Um, n- he's never quite sure whether it's going to land. Um, <laughs> but this is the perfect role for where Jude Law's hair is right now. Uh, it's perfect. It's slick, it's slimy, it's gorgeous. Mm. Um, uh, this is, uh, I will make a note for people that want to have more Jude Law chat, the new podcast Law School by Fran Hopfner and Caroline Simmons is great film by film analysis of Jude Law. <laughs> uh, do check it out. Um, but he he's really good and he is exactly that kind of late 90s pop star manager character but doing it so, so well. Mm. He's so slimy in this. I'm surprised anything can like anyone can shake his hand or any clothes and stay on him without just slipping off. You just come off the set of the greasy slander. <laughs> yeah, he just slimes along the walls. I think I think Jude Law's best when he's real a real sort of scumbag slime ball. Yeah, mm. I mean, there's elements of um, his of uh, Dickie Greenleaf from Mr. Mm. Ripley in here oh, yeah. for sure. Um, he's excellent in this, and he he goes quite big changes. Like second half of this, he comes. He's a bit more of a dad. He's a bit more dad bod. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's a bit dad. He's like, but he's also like a bit sad drug dad. <laughs> sad drug dad. Um, which which half which does he are... wear more tracksuits? Second half. The second half. Oh yeah, yeah that's my favourite. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he's got a little bit of a belly. Also, I love how we'll get to this more, but I love how in the second half, everyone's accent is turned up to eleven. <laughs> oh yeah. Because well, let's move on to okay. side two. So we've shifted now. Yeah. Well, we've mentioned that Rafi Cassidy is from Manchester and for a young actor to do an accent and also do a very good performance is really difficult. But she manages it. Her accent in the first half is really great. It's really quite actually quite subtle, I think. Is it Staten Island? They're from? Yeah. 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 So it's but then and she does it really well. And then Nancy Portman is just like, like <laughs> I won't stay down. It's, it's this. She's she's making choices with her accent yeah. wow. you know oh yeah she's well, she has picked a lane well, yeah she's yeah. picked a lane and she's changing and everyone's like whoa get off the road no one else can come up so jude law's like okay i guess i gotta do it as well <laughs> yeah. you're right um but he said in past interviews brady Cor- corbett that that he that uh, he wanted her to be like like a like what what is the real housewives like that's it. <laughs> like a mob that wife his, it's like a mob wife like a mob wife yeah no seriously he said that so but she's... but 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 i do love it that she turns it up to 11 yeah. and she really goes for it and whatever happened in the years between the two halves of the film has just turned her into a like a fame monster she's yeah. i think another film would have her like be a complete unlikable antagonist you know because mm. she's really quite awful in the second half like mm. really difficult yeah. to be around for everyone well yeah i think the narration that comes between part one and part two is an important sort of understanding of maybe what has happened in those mm. 20 years between you know, when she first becomes a pop star to where she is now. Yeah, and I think this is the Von Trier influence yeah. again on that we're seeing here, um, as well as having Willem Dafoe do narration uh, over yeah. a black screen and chaptering the film. Um, Von Trier will almost spoil the chapters of his film within the title mm. card. Mm. Like uh, within Dogville, it's like, uh, chapter eight in which blah 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 blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. and then over the next 15 minutes exactly that I mean the about. house that Jack built with the quotes as yeah well. exactly mm. um, and in here it's just uh, it's doing exposition but in a way that's quite helpful means mm. you don't have to worry about actually what happened and we can spend an hour mm. right up close with this character instead yeah 
Um, and the structure of the second half is really interesting. Uh, we've gone from the first half where we're covering quite a long period of time. We actually go through, we've got these quite static, um, drawn out, composed shots. Do we know how long lapse. the first half is it? 55 minutes. No, but do we know how long, how many years it covers? Uh, is, sure. So it's like 1990 and it ends at 9-11, doesn't it? Pretty much. Yeah. So I guess like two years. Yeah. yeah. And then we jump 17 years. And then, but then the style of mm. this is, I, I would say something like Birdman would be similar mm-hmm. uh, in that we're leading up to a big concert and it's a collection of drawn out scenes mm. um, that are all shot in a very similar, we're back into that floating style of the opening scene in the school shooting. And again, we're trapped yeah. and we can't <laughs> escape. And so we've got that it's same feeling. That, yeah, that like sickness in your mm. gut. Mm. And all we're doing is following them walking down a street and because we're in New York, we've seen that violence at the start. We've seen where the first half ended. And suddenly there's just this huge anxiety mm. when all you're doing is following a well, conversation. another mm. act of violence as well that kind of kicks this second half into mm. gear. And a, an act of violence. So there's this thing about the film that Brady's been talking about where this is a film that's like a reflection of the past 20 years. And so you have the school shooting, which is in the you know, 90s is very Columbine. And then you have 9-11 happens. And then you have a kind of a terrorist uh, shooting incident, which again is reflective of around the time that the second half takes place. And you have the life of a pop star surrounded by the major incidents in the world. Yeah, very much well, like, and, intertwined with, I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah. the mm-hmm. regurgitation of kind of televisual media, particularly yeah. in the age of the internet as well, yeah. and like how terrorist groups like that would get videos out into the wider world. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and, she, and so she's got all the weight of those events on her. And then it's not surprised that she's kind of channeling this into a whole new identity. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just to kind of get away from it. Uh, then it's kind of building up to this concert. And uh, this is the first time that we really hear the pop songs that are the hinge of the whole film for the first time in all their glory. Um, how does how does this concert pay off for you? They're guys? so good. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the songs are really good, but I, I, I had a very strange... Uh, experience watching the last 20 minutes of I think the movie yeah. and I think obviously intentionally because yeah. yes the songs are written by partly by Sia which which, which mm. and he has said like the songs are really good like we wanted the songs to be really good but at the same time you're watching it in this strange context having seen the for the last like hour and a half watched this madness unfold and now you're kind of like oh here you go watch this concert and I think he's putting you in that position intentionally to be like I don't feel good about this <laughs> like mm. this is weird and I'm going through a bunch of things while I watch this concert so it made me feel even though the songs were good it just made me feel really weird watching it's, he's not afraid of letting it play out oh, I yeah. loved it I thought yeah. it was so I found it so satisfying I think what I liked about it is I think often with Films about pop stars or any kind of musicians, often you will start with the music. Like, you know, Star is Born, you'll start with the music. Um, and that's great. But then I quite liked that throughout this whole film, you build this character and you build this star identity that the whole world is in love with. And really, all we've heard is like a rickety kind of song at um, the memorial service. And then, yeah, and then you think, what? why does everyone love her so much? Like, what is... And, you know, she says that she's the new religion and things like that. And I'm like, really? And then I like that he really makes you work for it and he makes you sit through all of this, like, traumatic, painful, all of this stuff to then be like... You wanted a show, like you wanted to see a star. Here's everything she can do, and like this is why we all love her. And I was like, yeah. But she's it's great. really, 
you're right and it's really but it's really interesting that that it kind of mirrors the same sort of idea and theme that like I remember him talking at the Q&A after the after the movie that we saw at LFF that um he is very much fascinated with this culture that we're now living in where we sit on our phones and we scroll through the news and it's like oh a uh, school shooting cool next one uh, a bombing in you know Iraq oh cool let's like move it's like we're so desensitized to these and massive the third one will be about a, a pop star exactly or, yeah. or whatever it is like this intertwined life that we now live with like being desensitized to tragedies and things happening we're we're aware of things happening on the other side of the world but it's we're very very much comfortable in our space mm. to go like oh no that doesn't involve me you just me. watch everything in parallel and i'll watch like america's next top model or like you know uh, american mm. idol and and feel okay about that um and i think that it it is definitely a comment on okay you've watched this now and now i'm giving you what you wanted i think that the style changes completely for the concert mm. we're suddenly so at a distance from her oh yeah and you're watching it and you think did we actually know them at all (laughs) like suddenly this feels like a completely different person Mm. and uh like which one was the real one um and the songs are so good though the songs are really good but the concert is intentionally long to just let you mull over uh the last uh two hours (laughs) um but in in a very good way Mm. and they are huge jams um as is Scott Walker's score, who mm-hmm. uh, died recently, uh, his final score. Uh, these are those kind of big Baroque moments mm-hmm. uh, in between, and they're brilliant as well. Uh, weirdly, the soundtrack is cut down the middle. Like, uh, yeah. It's not a soundtrack that flows in the order <laughs> of the film. It's yeah. just bangers, Scott Walker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Also, a great film to rewatch, just because when you watch it the second time and you know all the bangers, singing along during the concert, oh, it's the best feeling ever. All right, uh, we should probably wrap up there. Um, but before we do, any quick recommendations uh, for who, who, what fa- fans of other films might uh, want to check this one out? Mm, if you liked Natalie Portman in Black Swan, kind of similar things here, but with a lot more glitter. Um, Some crying in dressing rooms. Absolutely, loads of that. We love that. Um, it's not A Star is Born, again, but, you know, if you... I think it's important to have all different sides of pop music. You know, there's been a lot of debates as to does Brady Corbett hate pop music? Mm. Um, for me, he definitely does not hate pop music. Um, and I think it's interesting to see this more militant, aggressive, like abrasive side of pop music. Um, yeah, if you love pop, you love Fox. Yeah. And um, so I was on holiday in America last week and I was lucky enough to see Her Smell, mm. the new film by Alex Ross Perry, which is also about a uh, female pop star, but this time in, also in the 90s, um, but very different genre, but tackling very similar ideas to this one. What an amazing and, title of a film. Yeah. Oh, I feel unwell. It's so, so good. So if you enjoy, if you've listened to this and you've already seen Vox Lux, uh, get hype for Her Smell. <laughs> Uh, all right, uh, so that's on at the cinema. It's on Curzon Home Cinema as well. Uh, it is. As well. Uh, so Sam, you're our home cinema correspondent. Anything else on there that people should be checking out? Well, you can check out uh, Brady Corbett's first feature, Childhood of a Leader, which we've been talking about a lot. It's a really, really dark, interesting film, and it's a really nice parallel to Vox Lux. As we said earlier, it's a kind of the first part of Vox Lux in mm. a way, thematically. And we've got other films that deal with uh, the life of musicians, but fictional musicians. So we have... Pavel Pavlikovsky's Cold War from last year. We have Frank. Frank. 
And we have Paolo Sorrentino's This Must Be The Place, starring yeah. Sean Penn. It's Sean Penn. Yeah. This Must Be The Place is a song by the talking heads. <laughs> oh my God. So, so if, you want, if you want to hear, if you want to hear that, if you want to hear that voice for two hours, um, just go out with Sam. Uh, <laughs> uh, if you've got any thoughts on Vox Lux, uh, then do let us know. Email us at podcast.curzon.com uh, or tweet us at Curzon Cinemas. Uh, if it's your first time listening to the show, do subscribe. You can do so on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, wherever you get your pods. And when you're there, if you could leave us a comment or a review, that would be absolutely wonderful. And if you hadn't had enough of us, you can keep up with us all on Twitter. Uh, Sam, you're over there at... At Sam Howlett underscore one. Yeah, Kelly, you are... KS underscore Powell. Ella. At EFE Kemp. And I'm at J.H. Cunningham. Thanks so much for listening. Farewell. Farewell.